Fruits worthy of repentance. 
Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Christ in order to 
We find ourselves in a similar place today, here on the third Sunday of Advent. We wait in anxious anticipation of the arrival of our Lord by the Church of Mary. And at the same time, roughly 2,000 years after Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, and ascension, we await in anxious anticipation his return, his coming back to his people and to the earth. When he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, putting all things to right, making justice to roll down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream. In the readings today, we encounter one of the central mysteries of the Christian faith. We say that Jesus came, that Jesus is coming, and also somehow that Jesus is present to us here and now. We say that God has delivered us from sin and death, that God will deliver us from sin and death, and also that God is somehow in the process of delivering us from sin and death here and now. The readings today attest to something of this conflicted witness. On the one hand, we're told to rejoice. God's peace will guard your hearts. And on the other hand, from John, we hear, Repent, you brood of vipers. What a contrast. Again, on one hand, we're told not to fear, for God is with us. And on the other, we hear Jesus' own cousin take away the basis of our assurance before God, telling us not to trust in our ethnic or religious heritage alone. He says, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. Which is really John's way of saying to the crowds, you being an Israelite does not guarantee your protection from the wrath to come. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for rejoicing in that kind of word. You'd be forgiven if the whiplash of these distinct perspectives causes your head to hurt. It certainly did mine this week as I was preparing this sermon. But these readings, these readings that are hopeful, the first two readings, Ephraim and Philippians, are readings that are based in their relation to God's specific acts of deliverance. Many scholars today place the writing of Zephaniah at a time shortly after the collapse of the Assyrian military regime in ancient Palestine, a time when God delivered his people Israel from under subjugation to a foreign master. This time was someone who came to Moses leading the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt some 1,000 years prior. And akin also to Cyrus's deliverance of the Israelites from exile in Babylon that happened a century after Zephaniah's writing. It is important for us to remember that believers in ancient times primarily understood God's deliverance to be a social and a political event, as it was with Moses, with Cyrus, and with Zephaniah. The Old Testament witness again and again tells us how God's people fall into disobedience. They're punished sometimes by foreign invasion, by enslavement, sometimes by exile. Eventually, God's people are delivered by God, brought to worship the right, to live in accordance to God's law and in obedience to God in the promised land. In his ministry of baptism and his proclamation of repentance to the Israelite people, John the Baptist both relies upon and critiques certain aspects of this tradition. He relies upon it and endorses this tradition when he emphasizes that it is obedience to God that matters, not the people's ethnic heritage or community gathered alone. Indeed, that is precisely what John is talking about when he says, the axe is at the foot of the tree. 
And that God is able to raise from these stones even children of Abraham. For John, being a child of Abraham in the biological sense, must not be confused with being a child of Abraham by faith and obedience to God. And this life of faith and obedience is characterized, as John goes on to explore, by a life of good works or good fruit, clothing the naked, giving food to the hungry, using your position to do what is right and not to take advantage of others by coercive threats. These seem like fairly straightforward ethical commands in the text on us today. His emphasis on obedience to God's law rather than mere ethnic membership in the community is the consistent witness of the Old Testament. In this sense, John's commentary is in continuity with the teaching of the faith of Israel, where John challenges and critiques this tradition, his tradition, in rather striking ways is by baptizing Israelites. The rite of baptism was similar to other ritual forms of purification, but in the Old Testament it takes on much greater significance as a fundamental aspect of God's deliverance. God separated the waters covering the face of the earth and brought forth man and woman from Eden. God caused the floodwaters to evade and deliver Noah and his family to dry land. God separated the waters of the Red Sea, saving the fleeing Israelites from shore of destruction. John the Baptizer is playing off these images, images that would have been immediately present in the minds of his listeners, by calling upon them to repent of their sins, pass through the waters of baptism again. For it is also the case that deliverance, God's deliverance of his people, requires repentance. A turning away from idol worshiping at the foot of Sinai. Repentance for the faithlessness and disobedience that God's people have displayed. John calls the Israelites to turn away from their sins, to turn away from the idols that distort and corrupt them, and to be washed in this context, the deliverance which John is preparing them for is the deliverance of the one who shall baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The deliverance of God himself in their midst come to his people to bring them out of darkness and into the light of his love. And yet, we're, we're given reason to pause here. For this new deliverance which John proclaims, though Luke eventually recognizes it as good news at the end of the reading, is not a deliverance of optimistic good cheer. John describes the ministry of Jesus Christ as a gathering of the weak together and a burning up of what cannot be used. In other words, the axe that lies at the foot of the trees will be applied. Those trees that do not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Other stark images. So for John, God's deliverance and God's judgment are simultaneous. The one cannot be separated from the other without losing the essential meaning of the whole. The reason for this is that the sin which is within us must be cut off and destroyed. For God will not have our lies, our murder, our hatred, our envy, and our gossip ruin the party of life in the coming kingdom of Christ. God in Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death in order to bring us to himself, that we might know God's love and God's life. God the Holy Spirit has given to us to bring this plan to realization, to burn away that is within us, that turns us away from God, and thus destroys God's beloved children. 
In doing this, the Holy Spirit works within us that we might be brought to participate here and now in that kingdom which is to come when Christ returns again. This is why the readings today occupy such paradoxical extremes. The witness of the Spirit in the Scriptures is that God requires our repentance. God requires our renewal. God requires our purity of heart and mind. God requires our love of God, neighbor, and even of our enemies. Because God desires that we might join in and share the life of love, the life of self-giving, and the life of freedom enjoyed by the Father, Son, and Spirit in the communion of the Holy Trinity. And the witness of Scripture also tells us that God will not leave us to our own devices to accomplish this transformation. God comes to us in Jesus Christ and remains with us in the Spirit that the chaff may be separated from the wheat and that the dead branches in our souls may be cut off and removed for good. It is as we join and share in this life given us by Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit that with Paul we may rejoice in the Lord always. It is because Christ has come and Christ is coming that we can participate here and now in the establishment of Christ's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We can participate in this kingdom by further justice, by giving our extra hope to those who have not, by feeding the hungry, by using the power and authority given us to advance the cause of justice and righteousness in the world. But as followers of Christ, we must participate in this kingdom fundamentally by repentance, by turning from our sin. As John's proclamation to the Israelite attests, it is only by our repentance that we can receive Christ. For it is by this repentance and the work of the Holy Spirit within us that we are made ready to receive Christ. Receiving Christ both here in the Eucharist, receiving Christ in the homeless, the naked, the outcast, and the hungry, but especially receiving Christ when he comes again in glory, establishing his kingdom of righteousness and justice to the ends of the earth. And so with Paul and all the company of saints who have gone before us, we ask God to forgive us our sins, deliver us from our iniquities, and with that we pray, come Lord Jesus.
the hushed anticipation of his coming. Let us pray to the Lord, saying, Come, Lord Jesus, hear our O Key of David, open wide our heavenly home as we pray for the Holy Church of God, especially for Michael, our presiding bishop, Alan and Gail, our bishops, and all who lead us at Trinity Church in worship, formation, ministry, and mission. We give thanks today for the ministry of chaplains who serve us in the armed forces, and for Edward, who is called to that vocation. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. O desire of nations, bind in one of the hearts of all mankind, and bid our sad divisions cease, so that your peace would be manifest in our nation and in all nations. For our leaders, that they may serve justice and promote dignity and freedom of every person. We pray, come Lord Jesus. O root of Jesse's tree, be a sign of hope to come for this longing world and for all of its inhabitants. For our ministry partners at home and abroad, May our love for you show forth in our lives and how we care for others. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. O Emmanuel, that you may ransom those who mourn and lonely exile here in the places of our deep hurts. For the sick and the suffering, especially Nancy, Anne, Janet, Claire, Sally, Alex, the Antonovich family, Wynn and Jenny, Birch, Andy, Charles, Mary Sue, Carol, Ryan, Robert, Madeline, Dick, Rhonda, Sean, Matthew, Steve, Orly, Will, Don, Barbara, Jack, Edie, Kirsty, Ellie, Edie, and you. Are there others? We pray for all who are in prison, without homes, grieving, or lonely. For the orphans and widows of today, we ask that in your name all oppression shall cease. As we pray, come, Lord Jesus. O day spring, we ask that you might disperse the gloomy clouds of night and put death's dark shadows to flight. For all who have died in the communion of your church and those whose faith is known to you alone, that with all the saints they may have rest in that place where there is no pain or grief but eternal life. We pray and come, Lord Jesus. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let your spirit open our lives to your 
things through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen.
you sent your beloved Son to redeem us from sin and death, and to make us heirs in him of everlasting life, that when he shall come again in power and great triumph to judge the world, we may, without shame or fear, rejoice to behold his appearing. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of glory. Yes. 
marked by faith with his giving, so we will all our love with us.
Thank you. 